study for a couple of weeks. So if you remember what's going on, we had the, the feeding of the 5,000. There was 5,000 men, remember that? So there could have been 20,000 people there easily that were fed by five loaves and two fish by Jesus. Then we have the people trying to make Jesus king, trying to, trying to set Jesus up as king right then. And we have Jesus sending the disciples away, sending them into, into a boat to sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Then we have Jesus sending the multitudes away. Then we have Jesus going up into the mountain to pray. Are we catching up to speed here? Then we have Jesus, while he is praying, we have the disciples out on the sea. They're stuck in the middle of the sea. This strong wind comes through, and they're just rowing. They're rowing for all that they're worth, and they, they can't get to the other side. They're stuck in the middle of the sea, and they're fighting for their lives. And all of a sudden, they see something walking at them on the water. And they think it's a ghost, and they start yelling and screaming. Uh, we tried to picture this grown men yelling and screaming about this, this ghost coming at them, and then Jesus reveals who it is. He gets on the ship. The water's completely calm, and they're immediately at the other side where they were trying to go. So that's where we're at, getting us up to speed here. But what we have, the response of the disciples to witnessing Jesus and his power, their response was they worshipped him. Truly you are who you say you are. Truly you are the Messiah. They're on their face. They're worshiping Him. And what, today where we pick up our study, we have the, the crowd walking around, wandering, wandering for Jesus, trying to find where Jesus is. We find this crowd that was amazed at the way Jesus provided for their hunger. We have this crowd that tried to make Jesus their political king, trying to track Jesus down. But what we're able to see through all this is we're able to see their true motives exposed. Jesus knew their, their motives the whole time. He knew everything about them. But Jesus is actually going to call them out on their motives for following him in our study today. Jesus will spend some time explaining to them who he is. And this study is going to end up taking probably two or three weeks um, I thought this would be a real brief introduction, but it's going to be a, a full, full message, I'm pretty sure. So we'll be looking at this the next few weeks. And today is, is like I said, it's just basically an introduction to the passage. So you're going to want to come back the next three weeks, the next two or three weeks, because you're going to be so excited for what Jesus is going to say next. Hallelujah. Um, but you are welcome to read ahead on your own and actually, actually study and see what's going on here. But let's look at our text together. John chapter 6, we'll start in verse 22, and uh, we'll read to verse 29. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread. After that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves 
and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you uh, so much for this time when we can just pause and we can look at your dealings uh, with man, when we can see people responding and reacting to you different ways. I pray that as we look at this, our awareness of you, our, our admiration for you, our worship for you will grow and that we will see that, that you are God, that you are truth, that you are holy, that you are just, that you are always right. I pray that you will help our, our confidence in you to grow, recognizing who you are, that you are so much more than about just, just giving us your son to, to show good works and to show miracles, but that through your son, uh, we can have life, we can be forgiven for sins, we can be freed from, from the bondage of the law, from the uh, what we justly deserve, the consequences for our sin. I pray that we will see that and we will recognize that and we will turn our hearts to worship you. I just thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your loving kindness. Please work in us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've, we've kind of caught up to speed. We've looked at details to where we're at here. Jesus and the disciples were on the western side of the sea. The crowd at this point is still on the eastern side of the sea. Uh, verse, verse 22, we see the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there save the one wherein his disciples were entered and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat but that his disciples were gone away alone. So try to, try to picture this. Part of the crowd, at least, that had witnessed Jesus feed them or had experienced Jesus feed them from just five loaves and two fish, part of this crowd at a minimum, I, I wonder how many there were that were actually here, but this crowd wakes up that morning, they're on the seashore, they're looking for Jesus, they're wondering where he was. They just had this awesome experience the day before where they were hungry, they needed food, and Jesus fed them miraculously. So I can imagine them sleeping very little that night. Because remember, Jesus sent them away, but they wanted him to be their, their king, to, to meet their, their physical needs. So I can imagine them getting very little sleep, being so excited. This is me imagining, so bear with me. Being so excited to see Jesus that next morning. To see, to see what he could do for them. Uh, maybe how he would provide for them for breakfast. Because they weren't prepared for dinner that evening and Jesus provided for them. He sent them away. They stayed close, we can find out from the other gospel accounts. So I'm picturing them, you know, how is Jesus going to provide breakfast for us? What's it, what's it going to be? How is he going to perform this miracle for us? They wake up and Jesus is gone. They're wondering where he went and how he had got there. There was only one boat that they had seen leave. And Jesus was not on that boat when it left land. 
so they're wondering, where is, where is Jesus? If only one boat went away, he wasn't on it. He's not here. We can't find him here. Where is Jesus? How did he get there? How can we find him? They had to find Jesus. He was their meal ticket. He was the one who was going to take care of their physical needs. And I'm going to keep emphasizing physical needs here because I think it's important because Jesus calls them out for it. He was the king they wanted to keep marvelously providing or miraculously providing for them. And I believe that this, this verse 23, we see them looking for Jesus, trying to find Jesus. I believe that verse 23 explains how the crowd managed to get from Capernaum or to get to Capernaum to look for Jesus. They're on the east side of the sea. Jesus is on the west side. They need to go find Jesus. They don't have time to walk all the way around the seashore to try to find him. They want him now. So I believe this verse explains before it even happens how, these, how this crowd is going to get to the other side. Howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias nigh into the place where they did eat bread. After that, the Lord had given thanks. So they're looking for Jesus, trying to find Jesus. I believe these boats show up. I wonder why these boats from Tiberias are even there. I mean, maybe they had heard of the miracle. Maybe they came to check it out. If Jesus is over there doing this, maybe they came to check it out. Maybe the storm had forced them there. I thought that was a pretty pretty relevant idea where God orchestrating this storm, and we looked at it a couple weeks ago, how this storm was going to impact the disciples, the apostles, and it was going to help, help their faith grow in God. Maybe God used this same storm to push this flotilla of boats to this side of the lake so that then the people could have a way to get over to Jesus because Jesus had a message to teach this big group of people. So maybe we see God working here, which I believe we do. But maybe these people were just looking to make a quick buck. Maybe they had found out where Jesus was. Maybe they knew this crowd would be looking for him. Maybe they were just going to pick up these people and cash in on them trying to find Jesus. It probably doesn't matter, actually, in, in the grand scale theme, things, what they were doing there. Uh, I like to think about all the little details, though, and, and wonder what they were doing and how this is all going to work out. What we know is that there's a bunch of people that need a ride to the other side. This big group of boats shows up at just the right time, and now this massive crowd of people has a way to get over to Capernaum, to where Jesus is. Look at verse 24. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping. I love that wording. Uh, just interesting. They took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So we have this, this big group of people getting in the boat, heading over to Capernaum to try to find Jesus. They come to this conclusion that Jesus is not there. They know his disciples are not there either. They load up in the boat. They head to Capernaum. I wonder what made them decide to go there. This is another one of me thinking. Out of all the, the port cities, all the, all the towns close, they chose Capernaum. And there's theories there. I'm not going to tell you all the theories today. But we know that Jesus is over there, and this crowd is going to make their way over to Jesus. Again, I believe we see God working, and that's how they knew where to go, because they had a, a specific meeting with Jesus, and he had some specific truths to teach them. He had to call them out on some things. 
And we know they're not going to like what he has to say because if you fast forward down to verse 66, uh, pretty depressing part of the story. The crowd doesn't like what Jesus has to say and they walk away. So kind of spoiler there, you know what's coming in the story. But we have this crowd looking for Jesus. But why were they looking for Jesus? Because of what he could do for them. Not because they wanted to fall down and worship Him as the Messiah. Not because they saw all the miracles and all the evidences that He was indeed God, that He is the Son of God, that He was the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. That's not why they're chasing after Him. They're working hard to get with Him, to be with Him, because of what He can do for them. They had seen God's power on display, but they were still selfishly motivated. And this is where I get this idea of them coming to Jesus saying, here we are, serve us. If you don't do what we want or say what we want to hear, we will walk away. And that's exactly what happens in verse 66. And thinking about this, we see a lot of the same same attitude today a few thousand years later because sure people will acknowledge Jesus was a great teacher or or Jesus did these these incredible things and sure Jesus can do amazing things or or God can do amazing things but but people get this attitude where God I don't like what you're doing God I don't like how you are working God you're not doing what I want you to do Sound familiar? You ever heard anybody say that? You ever thought that? God, I don't agree with what you said about this. God, if you do this, I'll do that. God, if you do this, I'll follow you, I'll love you. And on and on and on we could go. We hear it on a daily basis. People blaming God for certain things. People not liking what God's doing, so, so we find them turning their back on God or, or looking for alternative things to believe in. People miss, people forget, people fail to acknowledge that God is God. That God is holy. That everything God does is holy. That everything God does is completely right. He is God. He is so much other, so much different than us that when we try to wrap our mind around Him and try to put Him in this box of, God, this is what you should be, and if you don't do that, I'm not going to believe in you. We're mistaken in a great way, and we're failing to acknowledge the fact that God is so much greater and that He is holy and that He is just and that He is right. He is greater than we can even comprehend. Romans 11, 33 and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord or who hath been His counselor? God is so much greater than we can imagine. And it's a dangerous thing to put 
this on God where, God, I don't like what you're doing, or God, I don't think you should be doing this, or, or God, you should do it this way. That's elevating us to the, the position of God, and that's a place where we have no right or business being. The response to God should not be serve us or else. It should be we believe, we trust, all glory and all honor and all praise to you. I might not like what I'm going through, but I know that you are completely right and you are all-knowing and you are so much greater than me. Your, your understanding, I can't even come close to comprehending and I can completely trust in you. We have an almighty God worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. So think about this. Then I want you to think about Jesus because he humbly, almighty God, worthy of honor and praise, humbly made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. One of the results of, of that is that we have the opportunity to be declared righteous before God. And that is the God that loves us. That is the God we have the privilege to love and to worship. He's so much greater that we can't comprehend. Yet he still gave himself a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb to take away our sins, to pay for our sins. And all of that brought glory back to the Father. I'm just so thankful and beyond words to have a God that is so much greater Yet a God that loves and cares, and the details of my life are important to him. And, and we see Jesus here intersecting with this, this crowd of people, this crowd of people that would walk away from him, yet he still lovingly confronts them, and he tries to help them see the truth of who he is. Look at, look at verse 25. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? So the crowd makes it to the other side of the sea. They manage to find Jesus, which that's pretty impressive. They, they found Jesus. Can you imagine this, this scene playing out? Like picture these boats pulling up to the seashore. Picture all these people just piling out. And then they go out looking, trying to find Jesus. These people put forth some effort to find Jesus. Whatever was on their plan for that day, they threw it all away and they jumped on a boat and they headed to the other side and they are finding Jesus. And, and I can picture one person finds him. I found him. He's over here. And then you have this huge crowd of people running to Jesus, running up to Jesus. Do you see the first question that they have for Jesus? They say rabbi, so they addressed him, address him as master or great one. They say, when did you get here? The first thing that they were concerned about was when did you get here? 
Because you were over there, and we were over there, and your disciples came over here, but then you weren't over here, but how'd you get there? When did you, how did this happen, and when did this happen? There was not time, there was no boat that came and picked you up. How did you get here? You can, you can see their, their focus here, what it, what it was on. It was on the details of, of what Jesus had done, how he had got there, but they had the Messiah standing right in front of them. I mean, I can't say I blame them too much for this question. Like, I would want to know too. Like, how did you get, that's incredible. But they should have known he's powerful. He just fed them with five loaves and two fishes. But their interest is, how did you, when did you get here? And I love Jesus' response here because it's like he completely ignores the question that they ask. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, here's his answer, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. So, Jesus' response to them, I would guess, is not in the way they had imagined, but this is me guessing again. Because what he does, they worked so hard to find him, and they find him, and his response to them is to call them out for what they were after. He was calling out their motives. He says, verily, verily, or truly, truly. He let them know that what he was about to say was very important, and they needed to pay close attention to what he had to say. Crowd, pay attention to my word. Truly, truly, this is truth. Listen up here. I'm going to tell you why you work so hard to find me. I'm going to tell you why you are even following me. And he says to them, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. This is not a compliment to the people. He's not saying, hey, thanks for tagging along. He's calling them out. They were so focused on Jesus meeting their physical needs that they missed the evidence of who he was. Jesus perfectly fit the description of the prophesied Messiah. He gave ample evidence that he was indeed the Son of God. The people were so focused on the abilities of Jesus to meet their short-term physical need that they missed the fact of who he was and that he could meet their eternal spiritual needs, which were so much more important than them getting breakfast that day. These, think about these people. They, they probably would have been extremely religious people, yet they were missing it. They needed Jesus. He was the answer, and he was standing right in front of them. Verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So can you picture this, this conversation playing out? You worked so hard to find me. You were looking for me for the wrong reasons. You were laboring for the wrong thing. 
You worked so hard to get here so that I could meet your physical needs. You are laboring for the physical when your greatest need is spiritual. And Jesus says, I am the answer for your spiritual problem. I am the spiritual nourishment that you need. I am the Son of Man sent and sealed by God the Father. I'm the one this world needs, we have Jesus saying. He's declaring to be the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah. And He perfectly fulfilled everything that the Messiah was to be. And He was standing right in front of them. The Messiah is standing there and your attitude is serve us with physical food. Jesus had done those miracles. The evidence was there that He was the Messiah. But they weren't seeking Him because of the evidences of what He had done. They were seeking Him because of the food that He had filled their bellies with. And that's all that they wanted. And again, an attitude that we, that we see today. God give me this. God fix this. From a world that will not recognize who God actually is. Our greatest need is not physical. Our greatest need is spiritual. And Jesus Christ paid for that need. He satisfied God's wrath. He shed His perfect sinless blood. He rose again from the grave. He is the Messiah. He is the answer for the problems. He is the solution to our spiritual problem. A debt that we cannot pay, Jesus paid. So Jesus lays it out there. You, you're, your motives are wrong. You're following me for the wrong thing. You're working for the wrong thing. Verse 28, here's their attitude. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Okay, well, what do, what do we need to do to work the works of God? Jesus had just declared himself to be right there, the one they needed standing in front of them, and their attitude was, okay, what, what do we need to do to, to do the works of God? What works does, does God want us doing? Now remember, they're used to following a list of rules and trying to earn God's favor the way, the way Judaism uh, transformed and, and kept kept growing into this impossible list of rules where people had to keep. And, and we've talked about those where they were just, they got crazy. And it got so bad where it's impossible to keep any of them or to even know what you were supposed to keep. The interesting thing is, is it was impossible to keep those, those Ten Commandments that God gave. And, and we find out that those, those commandments are to show us that we cannot keep God's law on our own, and we do, need, we do need a Savior. We do need a Messiah. We fall short. We can't even obey a list of ten rules. And the law is a schoolmaster to point us to Christ, to the fact that we need a Savior. And our works will never make us right before God, no matter how much we do. So their attitude is, what, what do we do? Jesus came to redeem from the curse of the law, Galatians 
Jesus came that they might have life, John 10.10. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, John 14.6. They were not grasping what Jesus was saying, that he was the solution to their spiritual problem. They weren't getting it. Well, what else can we do? Look at verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. God has done the work. It's the, the, the work of God. He, he gave his son that the sacrifice has been made for us today. He has shed his perfect blood. The, the responsibility that falls on us is, is to believe. This is the work of God that ye believe on him who he hath sent. Jesus told them he was the one sent from God. He said, believe on me. The Father has sent me. God has sent me. He has sealed me. I'm the one you need to believe in. I, well, let's talk about verse 29 a little bit more. Jesus tells them to believe in who he is, who has sent me, what he came to do, to believe in him completely. Jesus will go on to explain this to the rest of the chapter. So this is introduction, so don't think, oh, you left out some stuff. Yeah, I left out about 30 or 40 verses. But, but we'll get there. I want us to look at verse 30 today to give you an idea of how the people will respond. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? We want to see more. We want you to really prove How does Jesus not just turn around and walk away? Well, I know, I know how. We, we see him displaying compassion here and, and, and mercy here, and, and he's going to continue to teach them truth. But if this was me here, I would just, are you kidding me? Remember yesterday when you were kind of hungry and we didn't have any food? And then I fed 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Remember all the stories about me that you've been hearing? Remember me bringing people back to life from the dead? Remember me healing blind people? Remember, remember me healing the issue of blood? Remember the storms I've calmed? Why do you need another sign? I have over and over again proved myself to be who I say I am. We don't have Jesus walking away. We have him continuing to try to show them the truth. And in going through this study, I thought we'd fly through these first initial details. That we would just, just cruise and the next week we'd gear up for a big message. But there is so much to be seen just in these few verses that we, we looked at today. And what really jumped out to me was people coming to God with the attitude of, of serve me, give me. I don't care who you are, I just know you can meet my physical needs. And man, so many people today with that attitude. God, if you do this, then I will do that. Our response to God should just be awe and worship 
and to praise Him for who He is. He is a holy, just, righteous God. Yet He desires this, this relationship with us. Uh, this, this relationship of, of glory and honor and worshiping Him for who He truly is. And yes, God meets physical needs, and, and yes, God cares, and yes, God loves, but His primary function isn't to be there to just give us whatever we ask Him for. And that's a huge misconception, I think, in people today. I, I want to, I mean, as a challenge to me to, first and foremost, praise God for who He is. He is God, and He is worthy of praise and honor and glory. And to illustrate this, uh, when I was, I was praying early this morning, and when I jumped into my prayer, it was like, God, help me do this. Help me speak this way. Help me. And I jumped right in. I'm teaching you guys today about worshiping and praising God, and I jumped right into my prayer. God, help me do this and this and this. And I had to pause and stop and thank God for who He is and His greatness. He is so much more than us just taking a grocery list of do's to Him. Yes, He wants us to pray. Yes, He desires to hear us communicate with Him. But He's so much more than that. He is a holy, righteous God that is worthy of all praise and honor. And I want to be faithful to worship Him and praise Him. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank You so much for this time together today. Thank You for Your goodness, for Your greatness. I thank You for the opportunity that we have to know You, the opportunity that we have to worship You. I pray that You will work in our hearts, that we will exalt You and lift You up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Mrs. Pace if she'll go ahead and, and play softly on the piano. And I'd like for us to just spend some time praising God together, quietly at your seat. Uh, you can praise God, consider who He is. Um, you can come to the front and pray. If you're not sure Jesus is your Lord and your, your Savior and you'd like to talk to someone about that, feel free to come to the front and, and I'd be happy to talk with you. Uh, and spend some time with you this morning. But let's let's just quietly sit at our seat as as Mrs. Pace plays on the piano. Mm -hmm.